0: Sometimes when you come from these communities, you kind of think, well, when are we going to be the priority? When are our working-class children going to be the priority? They're just trying to get on with life. They're hard-working people. And I think that a lot of them feel very abandoned by the state. Communities know what they need, and we need to listen to them. We can't ignore it anymore.
1: I'm Nicola Tallent, and you're listening to Crime World, a podcast about criminals, drugs and the sins of the underworld in Ireland and across the globe. When the headlines fade on the latest story about open drug dealing in Oliver Bond, what happens to the community left behind? For decades, residents have been under siege, but in recent months, the complex has turned into a virtual drug supermarket with coke, crack and heroin for sale all day long at levels akin to the 1980s epidemic so what effects does that have on children and families living in the shadow of the drug mobs and what responsibility do we as a society have to help today i'm talking to criminologist and community activist trina o'connor and she says We cannot abandon the people of the bond or other communities living on the front line of our war on drugs. This is Crime World Extra, a podcast from SundayWorld.com. Trina. This situation in Oliver Bond with the open drug dealing has been going on now for decades and every so often it it sort of seems to get worse and we report on it in the media and then we go back to doing whatever it is we're doing and it continues down there. Should we not be looking at doing something drastic at this stage with Oliver Bond? I mean, for example, tearing down the complex?
0: Right, well, I mean, Oliver Bond is one of the oldest and largest uh, complexes that we have in Dublin. It was actually built in 1936 by um, a very famous architect, uh, Herbert Sims. Now, it it is a protected structure. So that's why there is calls for a regeneration of Oliver Bond. Although I personally don't feel that we should be uh, destroying people's communities because there is a very vibrant community there. The people that are involved in this criminality, as I've said before, is usually a very, very small minority of people. And sometimes, to be really honest, Nicola, it's people from outside the area coming into the area that are causing the antisocial behaviour, and even in terms of uh, drug dealing. You'll probably find most of the people involved in that don't live in Oliver Bond. Now, in September of last year, Oliver Bond was in the paper again because there was an illegal rave there and it went on for hours. And the people in Oliver Bond Flats, you know, are, are the salt of the earth. They're the heart to Dublin people. And they spoke to the Taoiseach at the time, um, Michal Martin. And he committed to this regeneration of the area. But you know, I, I kind of feel for the people in that area, in that complex, because they're just trying to get on with life. They're hardworking people, they're not for the the most part involved in criminality. And I think that a lot of them feel very abandoned by the state. And the fact that this small number of young and and very young people uh, can take over their estate and have the impact on their negative impact on their lives and intimidate them so much um, must be very, very upsetting and troubling for them. uh, Rearing their own children, trying to keep their own children on the right track and, yeah, right outside the door in the playground of all places. And I think in terms of that rave that went on, I, I remember some of the commentary at the time from some of the residents and they felt like they were just left to get on with it Um so I mean no I don't think we should tear it down I think it's a very vibrant and, and very you know um historical part of Dublin and I'd hate to see it gone and I think the people in Oliver band would probably for the most part agree with me but I do think it needs to be regenerated and the the quality of housing needs to be updated it does a lot of problems there with you know rat rat infestations and uh, areas for drying and cars and so yeah I think I think
1: a lot of work needs to be done there but not tear it down Interesting you should say that. I mean, the chief protagonist of this dealing and and who has been there for a long time is not actually living within the flats. He's living within the area, or certainly has been. Um, And the street dealers that are operating there, I've been able to identify quite a few of them as, as you say, not living within the actual flat complex. So they are coming there in the morning at eight o'clock, like it's their place of work. They're setting up for business and they're selling crack cocaine, heroin and all sorts of other drugs while kids are trying to go out to school. So what effect is that having on those children? Well, I mean, can you imagine how it would feel if it was your children
0: going out in the morning? Nicola, as a parent, your heart would be broken. I mean, the effect of young people seeing that kind of stuff on their doorstep um, is very traumatic. And, you know, the long-ranging effects of trauma on young people you know, it damages so many things. It damages our mental health. It damages our self-esteem. That's another thing about the people in all of our bond flats. They're stigmatized by this label. And that means young people are stigmatized by this label of, oh, you're from the flats. And that has a negative connotation for some people. And uh, people are judged. People, even in terms of trying to get work, um, applying for jobs, might not use the address, might use their grandmother's address or an aunt's address. So the the stigma that comes from other people's actions uh, can be very harmful, even from an economic point of view. But from uh, an emotional and a mental point of view, uh, the levels of intimidation intimidation that people in them flats are suffering is off the charts. And that's something that we as a society need to take responsibility for. And we need to put safeguards in there. We need community guards in there that have relationships with the with the residents so the residents don't feel abandoned. It's very wrong that we have residents in the social housing complex that feel abandoned by the state. Um, but the other thing about this is, Nicola, and, and let me be clear, we cannot police our way out of this situation in Oliver Bond or in any other uh, areas that are across the nation. We need to do this in a very jointed way. It needs to be a public health response. We need to be looking at all of the different adverse childhood experiences that are um, affecting young people growing up in these environments. And we need to be building the scaffolding around them to support them. So um, it does have a negative effect. I mean, it's not a positive effect. When a child goes out and wants to play in the playground and there's somebody there dealing drugs that they're afraid of. Can you imagine how scary that might be for a young person and
1: for parents? And I'll tell you from over the last couple of weeks, I have been in communication with people um, within the area who are so scared that we've had to talk on encrypted through encrypted networks. And I have never seen that before in, in in my time in journalism which is is quite long now and has been through manys a feud and manys all sorts of criminal situations but they are terrified and they are saying that this at the moment it's right back to the 1980s same levels of drug dealing there can be 20 or 30 dealers working those flats at any one time. there's a never-ending stream of um you know of buyers coming in off the streets again, not from the area, coming in to buy them. And, you know, what can we do for this community, for these people that are living there, you know, with that fear and terror? Like, what can we do for them?
0: I I, I agree with you. It is back to the levels uh, that we saw in the 80s during the heroin epidemic. But I think it's different this time because I think what we have is an increase in violence and we have an increase in the... People that will use violence as a forced response rather than in the eighties, violence was something that was threatened and only happened after several kind of things happened before it maybe you didn't pay up or whatever. Um, in terms of people being afraid to speak and give their name and use an encryption, who could blame them? We saw what happened in, in the Northeast Inner City. Neighbours were spying on neighbours, people, you know, people that went back, you know, decades of families that knew each other, grew up together, turned on each other, the Kinn and hutch feud really changed The landscape when it came to intimidation within these communities. In terms of us uh, as a society, shame on us if we don't protect these people. These people should not be fearful. So there's a lot of things we can do. As I said earlier, we can approach it in a public health. So we need to look at having community guards in there talking to community activists. We need to have outreach workers that are trauma-informed, youth workers that are in there trying to reach them young people. Because let's not forget this, some of them young people that are dealing are under the age of 18 so they're children too and they may be victims of crime as well they may be victims of coercion they may be in debt bondage to a dealer themselves and having to do something and being coerced or threatened into doing stuff so we need to take care of them as well as take care of the residents within Oliver Bond and other complexes like this we need to create restorative practices we need to create restorative communities where young people that have been involved in criminality are not forever and ever, amen, labelled as drug dealers or anything like that. So we need a reintegration piece for young people that they know there's an avenue for them to come back within their community without being vilified Uh, without becoming a pariah because that in itself then leads young people to the hands and the clutches of these criminal gangs. Um, We need to provide mental health supports for the residents and we also need to provide mental health supports for young people who we can help navigate away from organised criminal gangs. So, I mean, that's just some of the things we can do but there's lots Mm. of things that we can do but I tell you what we can't do. We can't ignore it anymore because by ignoring and just putting out fires here, there and everywhere and when something happens we do so and then it goes quiet again and then we don't do anything. What's happening there is we're just displacing this and we're moving it around the country. And... No other country really would allow criminal gangs to take over their complexes the way it has happened in parts of Dublin and in other parts in rural uh, communities as well. There's been parts of small towns and villages that have been completely taken over by criminality. And I think that as a nation, I think we really need to be looking at what we're doing for our young people because let's remember this, these young people are the ones that are going to be the adults in 10 years' time. And if we fail them,
1: well, then we'll reap what we sow. And the great hope, I suppose, is to get right and deeply within that community and to start sort of nurturing it so as the community can help and heal itself. And that ultimately the community will be the policing, the healthcare and all those things for itself. Yeah, that, that's correct.
0: And if you look back at how the origins of community in Ireland uh, since the foundation of the state, you actually had that in these communities. You had you had the huge, uh, you had the nuclear family and then you had the extended family. But because of the way our society has changed over the years, the way housing policies have happened, gentrification of certain areas, communities have been broken up. So that meant the extended supports that people had within their families were dissipated around, around Dublin, for example, where people had to go to commuter belts to buy a property. And then it means that you've got the, the breakdown of that kind of normal supports that we would expect in extended families. So we need to look at how we now establish our communities and particularly for newer communities. So people that are coming into Ireland that may not originally be from Ireland, but their children are Irish because they're born here. We need to look at that integration piece there as well so that we make sure that we are the land of Cade, Me Fulcher and 1000 Welcomes, that we're not allowing new communities to walk in silos and not be part of the new Ireland. So new communities, another thing that's very much misunderstood People can be vilified and like I have two mixed race sisters, two baby sisters and they're like 16 and 19. And I know firsthand some of the racist remarks that they suffer uh, on a daily basis because people just don't understand. And it's usually out of ignorance. We need a piece around that as well so that people do feel welcomed and part of Ireland, the new Ireland, as we as we move forward.
1: As I said to you at the beginning, we sort of dipped into Oliver Bond, as people do, and it's not... Uh, alone there's loads of these complexes around the city uh, nearby and down around the country should we be looking at trying to make a blueprint of one and actually concentrating on one and seeing if we can work it properly or is that waiting too long is that letting more years go by uh, yeah, yeah, a bit of both
0: of what you're saying. I mean, I think when the pilot programme that was established in the North East Inner City in response to the Kinna and Ochfield, that was supposed to be a pilot programme. And if that worked, that was supposed to be moved around the country uh, and adapted, obviously, because every community has different cultures. So you can't really have a, a one size fits all. Um, but you can have pieces of work that can be done only with collaboration with communities because I'm working in communities 30 years. Years. And I have to tell you, Nicola, Nicola, the answers come from communities. Communities know what they need, what they need and we need to listen to them. Um, waiting too long, yeah, I think the way funding happens, it happens depending on governments and that's the frustrating piece. So I think that if if government really want to do something about these areas, they need to commit to long term Uh, sustainable programs that can help people over a period of 10 years rather than every time the government changes new philosophies new ideologies come out Um, so blueprint yeah i mean we have the ideas around what community development is needed in every community but we do need to look at the nuances and the community cultures within them communities to make them appropriate
1: And I presume you need a couple of people within the communities who are the powerhouses, who are the, you know, the the people that will, will, I mean, do you find that in these, in these places like the Bond where this is going on and on and on for decades that those powerhouses just get exhausted and they run out of fuel?
0: Uh, yeah, yeah, that can happen, but you also see the opposite. You see people that just, I don't know where they get their emotional energy from, but they just keep going and they put so much into their communities with very little reward. A lot of them are completely voluntary, Unpaid, and it's just for the love of the community. And I think that's what I love about Irish people. We kind of are a bit like that when we kind of, we're like a dog with a bone when we have something that we're committed to and we keep going with it. Like you'll see people involved in sports, for example, and they may have started playing soccer at nine and ten, and now they're 60 running around the pitch and looking after young people. So, yeah, you do see a bit of both. Sometimes people do get jaded. And I think for communities like Oliver Bond and, and other complexes like it, they They've had a lot of false dawns. So they've been promised lots. Like even last September when uh, the shot came out to Oliver Bond, he said he's committed to regeneration. You ask people in Oliver Bond what's happened since and I doubt a lot has happened. Now, I know we had a pandemic and all that, but you know what? Sometimes when you come from these communities, you kind of think, well, when are we going to be the priority? When are our working class children going to be the priority? You know, mm-hmm. and, and, and that's what people out because our children within working class communities are as important as any other communities but yet they always seem to be last to be looked at and then when they are looked at it's usually in a negative way where the media may no offence Nicola but the media mm. may portray them as and I've heard this and it's the disgusting term feral children well you know the social constructions that we have around these young people they fire the guns of this kind of behaviour and we need to look at how we're constructing our communities and our housing and all of them kind of amenities that are needed. One of the things I will say to you, and I've heard a lot of um, kind of dis- discussion about this the last couple of days, is about the housing problem and homelessness. Nobody has even thought about the damage that homelessness is doing to young people's and their mentality and their self-esteem. What I would say is, you know, all these funds that are coming in here, make them commit to pay for youth clubs and to pay for youth leaders for at least five years for any community or any estate that they build or anything that they have to hand in. If the government haven't got the money, get them to do it. Something has to give here.
1: Is this government interested enough
0: uh, I look. That's a, Nicola. I don't know. I'm sure there are some really good people. Anybody who works in public life, there's some really good people out there. Um, I, I like. I'll stay in my lane on that. Like you know, and un, unless I'm a politician, I really can't be criticizing. You know, maybe one day. Uh, maybe I don't know. But right now, I think it's a very tough job being in politics. But I, I do think that there's a lot of people there listening, uh, hearing, um, and there's a lot of stuff on the priorities list. But I would ask them to bump up working class communities up that list as far as
1: they can. Well hopefully there will be brighter days for for Oliver Bond. Uh, Trina O'Connor thank you very much. Thank you. From Sundayworld.com this is Crime World produced by Ian Mullaney available online and on all podcast platforms. If you enjoyed this podcast please leave us a review. And if you want to get in touch, check out our Facebook page, Crime World with Nicola Talent.